continuing through our journey through the book of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, and today we'll be continuing uh, in the ESV. Um, Please take out your Bibles or read along with me uh, on the screen. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, uh, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find the donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Amen. Sorry, I just realized I was meant to do the prayer first. So now I'll do the congregational prayer. Um, Father God, we thank you that we get to gather here in Jesus' name and that we get to uh, call you Father uh, and that we get to call each other brother and sister uh, as we've been adopted by the spirit of adoption, uh, by the work of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Um, And Father, I thank you that you didn't just uh, come to die and and, uh, rise again for the forgiveness of our sins, uh, but if it was just for that, that would be worth rejoicing, but you come to manifest uh, your kingdom and God. yeah, we thank you that uh, there is uh, a place of eternal rest where there is no sickness, where there is no division, where there is no war and brutality or destruction, that we can find rest in your presence because, God, you are the God of peace, and that is what you promise in your word. And we thank you for the living hope that we have because of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Um, and, Father, as we devote ourselves to the preaching and teaching of your word, uh, would you give us ears to hear, Lord, and would you fill Pastor David with your Holy Spirit to preach uh, your word with power, uh, with a sound mind, and would you give him words of inspiration uh, to speak uh, your word, uh, which is uh, like a double-edged sword, to cut deep into our core, Lord. And would you, um, as the gardener, plant the seed, Lord. I ask that you would transform uh, uh, hard uh, soil, if any of our hearts are hardened, Lord. Would you transform them into soft, supple uh, hearts of flesh, uh, good soil, Lord. And God, if we are consumed by the worries of this world, would you, as a gardener, um, yeah, take out the weeds and replace them, and we would turn our hearts and minds kindly uh, and gently to repentance, to focus on you, that we would devote ourselves uh, to not only hearing your word well, uh, but to living it out, that it might bear fruit, Lord. Um, God, would you be glorified in our midst, and we pray on these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so just before Pastor Dave comes, uh, just a reminder, you know, uh, we oftentimes reference the good soil, and we're very accustomed to hearing that parable of the sower. Our very own Pastor David, even a, a few months ago now, preached on um, that, that, that parable, right? In Matthew uh, chapter 13, I believe. Um, but as a reminder, friends, you know, we're here, and the kingdom of God comes through hearing. And so how we listen, how we prepare our hearts to receive uh, God's preaching and, and teaching 
uh, and on our Sunday, uh, it's very important. So I pray, and I, my hope is that we get to listen with enthusiasm, we listen with hearts and ears that are ready to hear. So as I invite Pastor David to continue us uh, through uh, the, the gospel account according to Matthew, let's give him a warm welcome, um, and yeah, let's listen up. So much of um, Sundays is uh, a bit of a monologue, you know, it's you guys sitting and hearing someone um, speak from the front. So what I'd love to do as we start this morning is I want to ask you guys to join me in prayer. I want to ask you guys to be praying for yourselves as well and for each other. Um, and let's pray uh, that God would speak to us personally and powerfully through his word. Uh, because that's what we want. We don't just want to come here and listen to an interesting sermon or be a little bit uplifted. We want to hear from God. So, yeah, I'd love to ask you guys to take a moment, a minute or two, um, and join me and pray for yourselves, pray for each other. God, speak to us personally and powerfully. Father, we need to hear from you. We're so desperate to hear from you today. We're not going to be satisfied if we don't hear from you today personally and powerfully. So, Lord, I ask you for your help. Through the power of your Spirit, just help us hear really what it is you want to say to us through your word that we might be reformed and reshaped into the image of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. So it's been about two weeks since the world learned of Queen Elizabeth's passing. Um, and I know all of us here today, we enjoyed a public holiday. Maybe not all of us. I know some of you had to work, unfortunately, on that day. A public holiday on Thursday to commemorate her passing. Um, I've always been a fan of Queen uh, Elizabeth. I call her Queen Lizzie ever since I watched season one of The Crown. Uh, and in light of her passing, it's made me wonder, I, I wonder what it would have been like to actually meet her in person, face to face. Although I would never be allowed that opportunity. I just had you know, an inkling. I wonder what that would have been like. So I looked it up, went to Google, I typed in what's it like to meet the Queen, and I came across... <laughs> this BBC um, article that described exactly what it's like to meet the Queen. And I was reading through it, and it had very, very strict protocols 
right, some big do's and some big don'ts. For instance, when you meet the queen, you have to curtsy or bow, the head only. When you meet the queen, you have to use the right greetings on presentation to the queen. The correct address is your majesty, not your honor or your highness. It's your majesty. And then also, ma'am, pronounced like jam. You have to be early. Guests must arrive before the queen when you're not allowed in. You don't talk to the queen unless you're spoken to first. And you don't sit until she sits, she sits down first. You don't eat until she eats. And here's some big don'ts. Don't ever expect the queen to start a conversation with you if you're sitting on her left, only if you're seated on her right. Don't ever leave before the queen. It's very bad. Don't ask any personal questions. The small talk. And this last one's a really big one. Uh, don't touch the queen. So in 2000, John Howard met the queen and apparently he put his arm around her. Very Aussie thing to do. Big uh, no-no. He was berated for doing that. Just interesting, right? Because it's, she's royalty. She's the queen. And of course, there's this distance between us and her because we're not royalty. We're not the queen. And she is. As we come to Matthew chapter 21, first of all, what a journey it's been just going through this book. Um, 28 chapters. We're going to be at the end soon. Uh, it's taken a few years to get through this book. We're in chapter 21, and for the last 20 chapters, everything's been building up to this moment that we come to in chapter 21. You know, from the birth of Jesus, um, from Bethlehem all throughout Galilee into the Gentile regions, um, Jesus has been teaching, he's been doing miracles, he's been doing compassionate acts of kindness, and now he's finally about to enter the holy city, Jerusalem. And this passage is known as the triumphal entry. That's what theologians call it. And it's called that because this is a moment in which Jesus shows himself to be the king. Shows himself to be royalty. And I don't know about you, but I'm really comfortable thinking about Jesus as a friend, as a teacher, as a comforter, as a compassionate helper and healer but not so much as a king. Because along with the idea of royalty and kingship, you know, come, come all these conditions that we think of. I have to approach him rightly. I have to reorder my life and present myself in a way that's you know, right in response to who he is. So it's hard. It's hard for us to really think of him as king. I know we theologically say that. If you were to sit a test, you know, probably put that down on paper, pretty easy. But practically, is it, is it as easy? I don't think so. But I want to show you this king this morning that we see in this triumphal entry. He's not just the king of a nation. He's not just the king of the Jews. He's actually the king of all nations. Right? We've seen that in the way that he interacts with Gentiles and invites them into his kingdom. He's actually the king over all things. He made everything. He's the king over you, me. He's the king that we need. And our lives 
will never be as full or make sense in the way that they will under his kingdom, under his rule and his reign. So I want to see, I want to look at three characteristics of this king today. Number one, the king who fulfills his promises. Number two, the king who fulfills God's promises. And finally, to end, the king we all need. So first of all, the king who fulfills his promises. So this is a king who fulfills his promises. He's true to his word, which is great because when we look at politicians, when we look at leaders in our world today, in our culture, that seems to be such a hard thing to get, right? Like actual leaders in authority who are trustworthy. Guys who don't just, you know, talk the talk, but they actually walk the walk. In verses 1 to 3, Jesus describes to two of his disciples what they're to do and what they'll encounter as they do it. It's a really interesting story. Look at verses 1 to 3 with me. It's what it says. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he'll send them at once. So put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Your teacher, your rabbi tells you, all right, you two go into the village, and when you get there, you'll find a mother donkey and her colt. They'll be tied up, but you know what? You can actually go and untie them and bring them back to me. And if anyone says anything to you, just tell them, you know, the Lord has a need of them. doesn't matter if they say, stop, are you stealing from me? What are you doing? To say, the Lord needs them, and it will all be fine. Uh, what would you think? I think most of us would feel a bit hesitant. Uh, I don't really want to do that. Is it really going to go down like that? But it really does go down like that. Right? They actually go into the village. They find the donkey. They find the colt. They take it back. They untie it. They take it back. And someone says, what are you doing? And they, and they say, the Lord needs them. And the guy's like, okay. And they just go. <laughs> Exactly what Jesus said. Um, you know, maybe some of you might be thinking, there's something else going on here. Was a donkey owner? Maybe he was a Jesus super fan, and he heard, you know, that Jesus wanted it, so he gave it away. Uh, or maybe this was prearranged. Doesn't really say. We don't know those details. We aren't told. But what we are told in verses six to seven is that Jesus told the disciples exactly what to expect and to do, and it was precisely fulfilled. And what this tells us is this, very simply. Unlike the kings and the leaders of this world, who will say stuff, who will promise stuff, and sometimes it might be fulfilled, but a lot of the time it won't. Jesus is a king who will always fulfill, precisely down to the teeth that which he has promised. He's a trustworthy king. So when he says to us in his word, if you're weary and you're burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest for your soul. You can guarantee that that'll happen. That's a trustworthy saying. When he says to us, remain in me, abide in me, and that's how you'll change. That's how you'll bear fruit. That's how you'll mature You'll become more like me. That's 
something that we can bank our lives upon. And when he says to us, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That there's a deep satisfaction and a joy in coming to Jesus and drinking from him and being with him. He'll fulfill that promise. And when he says to us, Son, your sins are forgiven. That is a beautiful, simple, dependable, trustworthy promise. Be fulfilled by taking your place on the cross. And Jesus is the, this king who fulfills his promises. But secondly, he's the king who fulfills God's promises. So here in Matthew's gospel, we see that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt. And a colt is a young male horse. Um, and he did that to fulfill what was spoken by uh, one of the prophets, Zechariah. So Zechariah, the context, he prophesies to God's people. And he's prophesying to them after they've come back uh, from exile. And they've come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Because it's all been demolished. And to reestablish the city. So it was a very unique time in the history. It was a time of joy. You know, we're coming back, we're going to rebuild. There's also a time of struggle. And they had endured failed king after failed king after failed king after failed king. You know, when you have a lot of disappointing leaders, it makes sense to be pretty jaded, to feel pretty pessimistic and cynical about any new kings or new leaders that might come your way. And that's what's happening to Israel. So Zechariah holds out this hope before them. And he promises them a day when God will send his king, his king to them, a king who is humble and riding on a donkey. Look at verses 4 to 5 with me. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, which is a term or a phrase for Israel, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So 500 years before, you read what happened in this passage. God promises to his people that he'll send a king, specifically on a donkey and a colt. And in this week of Passover, and if you didn't know this, this is the very final week of Jesus' life on earth. 500 years later, it happens just as it was promised. Zechariah chapter 9 that I just read from, it speaks of the coming of a human king what's happening here in this passage. But if you go down a few chapters later in Zechariah chapter 14, it, spe- it speaks of a divine king. In Jesus' first appearance as a king, he's going to come as the, prof- as the prophets foretold, as this humble king, a king who's riding on a donkey, on a colt, the king who would come to suffer and die for the sins of his people to save them. But in chapter 14, what we read is he's going to come again, and this time not as a human king, but as a divine king just like the prophets foretold, as a glorious king who will come to rule, right? He's going to rule the earth with perfect righteousness. So I went through a jigsaw puzzle phase a few, more than a few years ago when I was living by myself in Melbourne. Maybe you went through this. I know a lot of guys went through it uh, during COVID because there wasn't a lot uh, to do as we were locked up. Um, and if, ever, if you've ever worked on a complex 
jigsaw puzzle. And for me, complex was like a thousand pieces. Uh, as you're working on the puzzle, inevitably there comes a point where you hold up two pieces in front of you and your brain kind of shuts off. Every piece starts to look exactly the same. Um, every piece looks oddly shaped and you just like how, I don't understand how this is all going to come together. Uh, so what do you do? You work your way through all the pieces and eventually you find two pieces and somehow you hold them up before you and they work. They fit together. They don't look so oddly shaped anymore. And you start there and you realize from that point you can build upon it. And then eventually you have a completed puzzle, a thousand pieces, right? It's not that big a deal for some of you guys, but it was for me. <laughs> so this Old Testament, right, says that the Messiah, so many prophecies about the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come and fulfill A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z. And it's like a complex puzzle. Sometimes you hold up prophecy A and prophecy Z, and you're like, how does this work? How? It doesn't make sense that you're prophesying about a king who's going to come on a donkey and he's going to suffer and die. And next minute, you're prophesying about a divine king who's going to come back to rule the earth. These two pieces seem completely contradictory. But in Jesus, you see these two puzzle pieces come together. And as the Apostle Paul says of Jesus in 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God find their yes and their amen in him. All the puzzle pieces of these, these Old Testament prophecies, when they're rightly aligned, they show us Jesus, the King who has come and the King who will come. Now, I don't know if you've ever been asked this question, maybe by a colleague at work or a friend who uh, you know, doesn't really have a church background or maybe a friend who had a church background but just stopped going. And why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? The question that stumbles us a lot of the time, doesn't it? Like, I, I don't really know. Or it's, it's hard to think of a reason that doesn't sound so religious or superficial. I'm sure you found yourselves like me in a difficult spot. You don't just want to give that theological answer. It goes over the head. And these conversations, they do require sensitivity, nuance, relationship. But these conversations, they boil down to this reality that we see here in this passage. These conversations have to involve something of telling the people, I'm a Christian because I believe that what God has promised be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He actually came through on these obscure, even contradictory promises. They were perfectly fulfilled in this king. Right, in Jesus suffering and dying on a cross, that's the suffering servant king. And then rising again in glory and defeat of sin and death, that's the divine victorious king who's going to come back. So when we're asked, why are you a Christian? I think we should be saying, I became a Christian and I am a Christian. I remain a Christian because I am convinced that this person, Jesus, actually fulfilled all the promises of God. And therefore, I'm convinced that what the Bible teaches about God, about his, this world that we live in, about humanity, about you and me, I, it has to be true because he perfectly fulfilled 
His promises through Jesus. Jesus is the king that fulfills his promises, and he's the king who, who fulfills God's promises. And finally, this all points to the fact that Jesus is the king that we all need, that you and I need. The final characteristic of this king that we get from uh, the text. Um, what's most surprising about this text is that Jesus' actions, they're all premeditated. He rides into town on a donkey, into Jerusalem, and he's making a bold statement by doing that. What, what have we just talked about? We just talked about Zechariah chapter 9, how it prophesied that the king that God would send would do exactly that. He'd ride in on a donkey. So by doing that, he's doing this incredibly audacious act. He's claiming, that's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecies. And you only have to look through the Gospels to see more examples of Jesus making bold statements like this. Right? For example, in John's Gospel, you have seven I am statements. Jesus claims, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He also claims, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Who has that audacity to claim that, hey, the world that you live in, it's dark. You're living in darkness. I alone am light, and you have to follow me in order to get out of that darkness. Like, can you imagine the Pope saying that? Can you imagine the Dalai Lama saying that, or any kind of other religious leader saying that, making a bold statement like that? Have you thought about these claims of Jesus? They're so audacious. They're so over the top. And usually we have like contempt for people like that. People who make claims like that, like people who demand our love, our obedience, our surrender, our allegiance, you look at people like that and you're like, you're self-deluded. You don't know what's going on. And if you're ever with anyone like that, even for a few minutes, you can recognize that their claims are bogus and they're living in a fantasy world. But with Jesus, this is not the case. Uh, the late John Stott is a British Anglican minister. He calls this the paradox of Jesus. He says, Jesus' claims sound like the ravings of a lunatic, but he shows no sign of being a fanatic or a psycho. On the contrary, he comes before us in the pages of the Gospels as the most balanced and integrated of human beings. And that, friends, is exactly what we see in this passage. Jesus covers himself in outrageous claims. He says that he's the Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophecy from Zechariah. Yet he clothes himself in utter humility. And he audaciously presents himself as fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, the Messiah, but he rides in on a donkey at our level. Right? God on a donkey. I don't know if you can picture that. And the passage ends with the crowds right, who surround Jesus. Um, they're laying their cloaks before him as he's about to enter into Jerusalem. They're laying 
these palm branches on the road where Jesus would pass. And it's a, it's a symbol of submission and reverence. Right? And they cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And that word Hosanna, it literally means save now. Save now. It's such a fitting thing to say to this king that we all need. Not, I'll follow you. Not, I'll serve you faithfully. Or, if you accept me into your kingdom, I'll be really grateful. It's save now. Save now. This is my past. This is my present. And this is where I think I'm headed. It's save now. This king who has absolute power, but is absolutely humble. This king who shows us and leads us to an abundant life. The king who comes down to our level. He stoops down to our level so he can identify with us. The king who forgives us fully and absolutely. Unlike every other king. When we fail him again and again and again. Jesus is the king that we need. The king to whom we can cry out, irrespective of how we're doing, what we've done for him or we haven't done, save now. But not everyone recognizes Jesus as the king they needed. Interesting thing about this passage, Jesus doesn't actually enter Jerusalem until verse 10. He's walking towards Jerusalem. He doesn't enter till verse 10. When he enters, the inhabitants of Jerusalem they're like, who is this guy? They respond with surprise and questions. Who, who, who is this person? They didn't recognize that Jesus was the king. My question today is, do you? Do you recognize that Jesus is the king you need? Even the people crying out, Hosanna, laying down their cloaks and palm branches on the road before him, they didn't know how he would save them crying out save now and they were thinking more of you know a political salvation liberation from roman rule not even the disciples knew how he would do that they didn't know that this conquering king would be the suffering servant that the messiah would save his people not through military might but by shedding his blood on a cross in this final week of his life and yet they still cry out, Hosanna. And many of them faith. I'll just say this. If you haven't recognized that Jesus is the king you need, one thing to recognize that he's a king, a king that would be nice to follow, but if you haven't recognized that he's the king that you need, if you've never recognized it, then uh, you're in the right place. We'd love to sit with you. I'd love to sit with you and, and talk about what that actually means. If there's any kind of needle that's being moved in you right now, wanting to know who this king is that, that you and I all desperately need, then uh, please, please talk to me, talk to anyone in our church community. We'd love to sit down with you and talk through this. But for those of us who do recognize that Jesus is the king we need, 
I want to end with uh, just two points of application. Number one, uh, first, let's give Jesus praise. And that praise begins by simply thinking about who Jesus is. I want to ask you to take the attention off of yourself for a moment because in our day and age, it's so hard to do that. Right? It's so hard to stop thinking about ourselves for a moment. All of us are self-absorbed. Can we take a moment to just think about who this king is, this king we need? All of the other things, all of the other kings that we live for, all the other things that we would tie our lives to enslave us because our worth is determined by our successes and our failures response to those kings. But this king gives us life as we obey him and as we follow him because he keeps his promises and he forgives us when we fail him because he loves us. Jesus is the king that you and I need. And so in this sense, our Hosanna, it's confident. Because if you're in Christ, save now, he's done it on the cross. He's saving you still. So let's take a moment to prayerfully give him thanks for that. I want to ask you to take that moment. Think about who he is. Take the attention off of yourself. And give him praise. Secondly, let's ask for his help because we can. You know, our praise, it, just, it can't just be good feelings and great experiences. Our praise must lead to surrender. That's what it means to live under kingship. Under his rule and his reign must lead to surrender. And surrender is hard. Surrender is not a natural human instinct. It only takes some doing a trust fall to realize that. I want to do it. I'd argue that control is a natural human instinct. Surrender is not. And in this sense, Hosanna is desperate because if you are in Christ, then he's sanctifying you. He's saving you still. He's changing you, even if it's painfully slow and you feel so impatient with yourself. You can still cry out, save now. I'm going to live a life that is surrendered to you, King Jesus. I want to ask you for a moment to think about what are you withholding in your surrender? What are you Preventing from surrendering to this king today. I think it helps to think about what areas of our lives are there sin? 
for which we're not repenting. Let's take a moment to prayerfully consider that. And in light of Christ, let's, let's cry out in desperation, Hosanna, save now. I thank you for the cross. Thank you that I can even come and ask you for this. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. And right now I need to remember that. Save now. Sanctify, Lord. Let's pray. Disciples and the people crying out, Hosanna, they didn't know how Jesus could save them. But we do. We know. We've seen it. It's been shown, proven. Our King went to the cross. He died for us. And he rose again. So our Hosanna is confident and centered on the cross of Christ. Father, pray for those of us who might not know that Jesus is the King we need. I ask that by your grace, through faith, you'd help those of us in that place know Jesus as the King that they need. I also pray for those of us who do know this, but might be shaken and discouraged, and forgetful, and we cry out, Hosanna, save, sanctify us, power of your spirit, remind us that Christ is risen, is in glory, and is making intercession for us. Thank you and pray in Jesus.